Welcome to the Museum of Femininity, a podcast where I, Charlotte Appleyard, discuss random topics of interest that relate to social history, art and material culture through a female lens. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. This is the week of Valentine's Day, so although it's a bit cheesy, I thought it would be fun to analyse a series of pictures with a romantic subject matter. What immediately sprung to mind was the common trope of women reading love letters. So today, all of the pictures I analyse will feature this subject. I will be looking at the soft romantic Rococo painting, Love Letter by Jean-Honor Fragonard, The Love Letter by Master of Light and Domestic Intimacy, Jan Vermeer, and a woodblock print called Woman Reading a Letter by Kitagawa Utamaru. And it's just occurred to me that that was very much like Blind Date, so I guess that sort of further emphasises the romantic theme of this week. But first of all, I would like to give you a a small and very (laughs) probably inadequate pocket history of the love letter, which is obviously an incredibly defining abstract concept that uh, is really pervasive throughout time and history and locations all over the world and you know I I think this topic is quite grand indeed but I I like to give a bit of context I suppose. Um, So here goes. The love letter in all its intensity and passion has existed for many years and is indeed pervasive throughout the world. One of the oldest references dates from 5,000 years ago in Indian mythology. It was addressed by Princess Rukmini to King Krishna. In addition, there are further examples of love letters in ancient Egypt and China, as well as ancient Rome. In fact, Ovid, uh, he had something called the Art of Love, which included... Uh, tricks and instructions on how to construct the perfect love letter and indeed this skill became something you could cultivate and it developed a reputation for being slightly artificial and was discouraged by the romantic poets and writers who came much later on. There are many famous and beautiful love letters between notable people in history, including Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine, Oscar Wilde to his lover Bosi, as well as more contemporary examples, such as the letters written between the country rock musician Johnny Cash and June Carter. And all of these letters and examples of relationships have become romantic hallmarks and are perhaps responsible for creating the language of love. Love letters can also mark important parts of history. For example, the romantic doodlings of Henry VIII in his Book of Hours to Anne Boleyn, symbolic of a frenzied boyish infatuation which led to the dissemination of the church. Love letters have been a key aspect of literature as well, One of the most notable examples I can think of is in the fiction of Jane Austen, particularly Captain Wentworth's reconciliatory letter to Anne in Persuasions, which includes one of the most achingly romantic lines I've ever read in fiction. Quote, You pierce my soul, I am half agony, half hope. Tell me not that I am too late, 
that such precious feelings are gone forever. Love letters are of course a standard in artistic subjects and can present many interesting allegorical themes which point to key aspects of society at that time. For example, the romance-obsessed frivolity of 1700s Rococo aesthetics or even a negative representation of the love letter that can present a disapproving cautionary tale which is an interpretation you would expect in a more religiously minded context. In this episode I will be discussing three love letter pictures, their artists and their symbolism. The first painting was completed by Jean-Honor Fragonard, who was born in 1732 and was one of the defining artists of the Rococo movement in France. He trained under Chardin and Boucher and as a young artist inherited the lightness and soft use of colours exhibited in these artists' work. In 1752 he won the Prix de Rome, a prestigious prize which enabled him to travel to Rome to study. Following his return, he made his mark in the Paris Salon by producing dramatic historic paintings. His career was really taking off and the Academy fully embraced him, although he only exhibited once in the Salon, favouring sensual decorative themes that were more suitable for the boudoir. Than public display. These paintings were hugely popular and provided Fragonard with many opportunities and commissions, including some for the king's mistress. The love letter was painted in the early 1770s by Fragonard. Here we see a beautiful young woman sat at a table in her private chambers. She is expensively dressed in a blue silk robe à la Française gown which is the classic 18th century silhouette of a tubular torso achieved by a stomacher with wide hips created by panniers and layers of underskirts. This style of dress is recognisable from the box pleat, which falls from her shoulders as well. Her face is flushed and youthful with rosy cheeks and bright flirtatious eyes, which glance mischievously over her shoulder as we step into her domain and her hair is very tall and powdered grey beneath a frilled cap. In her hands she clutches a small bouquet of flowers held in a paper comb and a love letter which she has written and is concealing inside. Perched behind her is a small panting dog, perhaps a King Charles Spaniel. The style of the painting is also quite sketchy and unfinished, giving the painting an expressive and playful quality. I think Fragonard's use of colour is also very romantic, as golden light streams through the oculus window and bathes the young woman, making her seem all the more glowing and in love. If we are to examine the symbolism in this work, the dog of course is a clear choice as an ancient and well-used signifier of fertility, evoking the sexual nature of the letter the woman is holding. The titillating qualities of the painting are also highlighted by the fact that it is not a stately composed portrait, but we are in fact stumbling in on a private moment in a lady's personal living quarters, which of course would not be viewed by simply anyone. This painting and Fragonard's work as a whole is drenched in Rococo sensibilities, 
and evokes the final wave before art's tastes changed once more and became the neoclassical movements. Rococo was developed in the early 1700s and continued with similar subject matters to the Baroque, but had a completely different interpretation of, say, mythological stories, choosing to be more playful and focus less on the dramatic and dark elements of these common artistic subjects. There was a sudden interest in commissioning paintings for the home, which were fun and pleasurable to look at. Although myths were still depicted, they were, they were more of an excuse to paint amorous love and flirtatious couples, frolicking and having a nice time. Personally, I love this period of painting and think the love letter perfectly captures the frivolity and pastel-toned romance of the period, which was light, frothy and all about indulgence. A very different love letter image comes in the form of Jan Vermeer's, which was painted much earlier in 1670. Vermeer was a relatively obscure artist until fairly recently. Now he is regarded as one of the finest Dutch artists who ever lived. His small body of work, consisting of 35 paintings, is categorised by a masterful handling of light and beautifully composed interior scenes, often reflecting a window into a serene domestic life. Perhaps his most famous work is the enigmatic Girl with a Pearl Earring. However, the painting we are talking about today is a true feast for the eyes, as there is so much to decipher. On the surface, we see a young woman clad in yellow, pausing from her lute playing, to glance inquisitively over her shoulder at a simply dressed, smiling maid who has just handed her a love letter. The pair are framed in a doorway, and there are numerous objects lying around, adorning the walls and cluttering the shelves, many of which help build on this love-focused allegory. It's also worth noting that there's a lot of gold in this picture and lots of fine objects, and she's also wearing pearls and a sort of fur-trimmed gold gown. So this is a woman of considerable wealth and status. One of the most obvious symbols of love is music, indicated in the lute the woman is holding and the curled up sheet music in the foreground. Music symbolised harmony between lovers and has been a hallmark of romantic wooing for centuries. On a less respectable and romantic note, the lute was also a slang term for the vagina. So perhaps the content of this letter isn't as fluffy and sweet as you might expect. In addition, artists would use interior settings to really highlight a metaphor because it allowed them to have paintings within a painting that, like Easter eggs, can give you more of an idea of the image's meaning. In this case, we have a picture of a man and a woman as well as a stormy seascape with a ship on the shores reflecting the absence of love as well as tempestuous love. This is also quite a late work for Vermeer, and you do not see his usual slavish attention to detail. In fact, he becomes a bit more abstract, but still expertly controls the relationship with the viewer in a way that is subtle and clever. Like with many interior scenes, you are supposed to feel as if you are peeking into someone's life without their knowledge. 
Vermeer emphasises this by purposely disrupting your eyeline with various obstacles, in particular the broom, which is propped against the wall. The inclusion of the broom also suggests that this lady has pushed aside her domestic duties and is, shall we say, a little distracted. This is a little random, but this painting was actually stolen in 1971 by a 21-year-old man called Pierre Royman, who hid in a cupboard until the Brussels Museum closed and took the picture off the wall. However, when he tried to climb out of the window, the painting wouldn't fit, so he cut it out of the frame with a potato peeler. It then went through quite an ordeal, including being tucked in his back pocket, buried in a forest and hidden in his pillowcase. The painting was restored, however, and returned, and Royman was sentenced to two years in prison, although he only served six months. So that's very random, but I thought it was interesting. I don't know why I find art theft fascinating, and actually the destruction of art as well, like the suffragette who uh, put the knife through... um, the Velasquez painting of Venus in the National Gallery. I've also done an episode on that, which is much earlier on, so you can check that out as well. Anyway, let's move on to the next image, the the final picture I'm going to be talking about. And this is a woodblock print by Kitagawa Utamaru, which was completed in 1793, and it's entitled Woman Reading a Letter. So just a bit about the artist, Kitagawa Utamaru was born in 1753 and became one of the most highly regarded designers of woodblock prints and paintings. He is perhaps best known for his images of beautiful women as well as his nature studies which included illustrations of insects. He is quite a mysterious character and little is known about his life. He did however rise to prominence in the 1790s as his portraits of beauties were in high demands. He produced over 2,000 of them, in fact, and achieved fame throughout Japan. Interestingly, one part of his life we do know of is when he was arrested for 50 days in 1804 after making illegal prints of the the 16th century military ruler Toyotomi Hideyoshi. And then he died just a few years after, and... You know, the Edo period was incredibly strict with the Tokugawa shogunate. There were many rules about what you could um, what you could depict. There was a lot of control over how people spent their time as well. So I think even though we don't know much about Utamaru, it shows a sort of rebellious spirit, which makes me look upon him quite fondly. I've mentioned often on this podcast as well that Japanese woodblock prints were hugely influential, particularly in the mid-19th century in France. Utamaru is one of the artists who was beloved by European Impressionists, who enjoyed his use of uh, sort of cropped images and his emphasis on light and shade, which they often imitated. Woman Reading a Letter is from the series... 10 Physiognomic Classes of Women. Here we see another depiction of a woman reading a letter, which is also very detailed and rich in symbolism, which can help you piece together a narrative. First of all, we know she is married because her eyebrows are shaved 
and her teeth are blackened, which is, you know, one of those cultural traditions that if you're from Western countries may seem quite unusual. And this was done with iron shavings and, um, yeah, women who were married blackened their teeth, but also so did courtesans because it signified that they had come of age. Um, so this lady is married. She's also very finely dressed in a blue kimono with a yellow obi, which is the sash going around her waist, to give it a straight uh, sort of tube effect. Despite the simple black pattern on her garment, she is likely a wealthy wife of a merchant and is holding a scroll-like letter up to her face. Her grip is so tight the paper is creasing and her eyes are narrow in concentration. As well as this, her mouth is open, giving the impression of anticipation as she reads the content of the text. The woman's body language is suggestive that the letter is from a lover and contains seductive words that is causing her to react in such a way. As this is in a series based on female types, we can assume her type is that of the faithless woman. One interesting aspect of woodblock prints is that they were widely published and reproduced, which means the same design can exist elsewhere, but with small changes made to the details. In the case of this image, a later version casts the woman in a more positive light, as there is an inscription within the central panel of this cartouche, so it was a, a part of a series, um, and this inscription states that they are prized specimens of womanhood. There is also visible writing on the later example, which reads, I tell you in precise detail when. So this is on the letter, so you can actually see the content. And this implies that uh, whoever wrote the letter was attempting to arrange a secret assignation. And there's another inscription that further describes this woman, and it says uh, she is being reserved. So the text is very much steering our interpretation and is maybe making her seem a little less, you know, thirsty. <laughs> In Japan, the exchange of love letters and poems were an important part of courtship and have since been absorbed into visual culture. In the Heian period, which was from 794 to 1185, poetic exchanges were the primary method for courtship as it led to a regular correspondence. Poems of love also became a vital part of the narrative in classic prose, like the tale of Genji, as well as major poetry collections, which were still famous in the later Edo period. Kabuki theatre was also hugely popular at this time, as more people were wanting to enjoy entertainment and leisure activities. These plays often featured love letters, and were even included in portraits of the actors, helping to uncover the hidden psychological ponderings of the sitter. That is all I have to say about that particular piece of work. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's a little different, a little more of a th a theme involved I suppose that's kind of seasonal typically I just uh, talk about whatever I feel like talking about um, so this was a fun change and I'm really open to suggestions of particular images 
you would like to hear about. I'm pretty aware that at the moment I've only spoken about paintings and prints of women completed by men and I'm I'm keen to change that. So next month I have um, a very different <laughs> painting planned, which is Judith and Holofernes by Artemisa Gentileschi. So this is a wonderful female Baroque painter and a very gruesome subject that I think defies the expectation that female female artists preferred to paint watercolours of landscapes or like you know still lives and stuff like that. Uh, it's indeed one of the most brutal depictions of that particular biblical story I have ever seen uh, and it was a really interesting subject to to, to delve into so I really hope you come back next month for the next painting analysis and moving forward I would like to include more female artists in this particular branch of the Museum of Femininity so please follow on Instagram at the Museum of Femininity I will be posting all of the images there uh, as well and I hope you have a lovely day and the next episode will be about Vita Sackville West who was a really fascinating person and I've chosen to do a biography on her. Uh, she was a writer, a gardener as well and um, you know had a really colourful, fascinating life and the main reason why I'd like to talk about her is because she was a, a queer lady who was living, you know, in the early 20th century. And as it is LGBT month, I thought that would be a rather good subject because, you know, I'd like to make this podcast as inclusive as possible of lots of different types of stories. So I hope you keep your ears out for that, uh, which will be in a few weeks time. And thank you for listening once again. Goodbye.